It's your weekly blitz with Chris, keeping you in the game. Hey, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome Hunt Demarest, CBA, APV, and one of the principal partners of Parmelis and Associates. He also has a great podcast called Business by the Numbers on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hunt Demarest, everybody. Appreciate it, Chris. How are you doing this morning, Hunt? Pretty good, pretty good. So what is CBA, APV? I was looking up researching and I'm like, oh boy, he's got letters after his name. Well, CPA, CPA, Certified Public Accountant, and then ABV is Accredited in Business Valuation. Oh, so you're telling me I, I had a typo in there when I did that. I could have swore I looked that up <laughs> off, your, off your website and it said CBA, APV. We'll have Carm edit that out. Or leave it in. I'm fine. I'm a first take kind of guy. One of the things I'm going to do with my guests is I want to ask a couple of warm-up questions. So people hear us you know, all the time on podcasts and everything, and I don't think they know a few finer details about who we are and everything. So where did you grow up? So I grew up about, kind of weird, about a minute away from where I live now. It was a roundabout way. I left, came back, went to college, lived in the city. But yeah, if there wasn't some trees there, I could probably see the house that I grew up in. Oh man, that's pretty cool. And so where did you go to college at? I went to Penn State. Okay. Ooh, Nittany Lines. There you go. Penn State. <laughs> See, I didn't know that about you. So there you go. So number two, who's your favorite superhero? And you can go back when you're growing up. If you had like a superhero, who who was your favorite superhero? Probably Batman. Batman. Okay. That's a good one. What's the most popular answer you get on that one? I've just started asking it for me personally. I was a Spider-Man guy growing up. So I've got some years on you and I don't know what it was like when you were growing up, but I had my Spider-Man underoos. So I would run around the house in my Spider-Man underoos and uh, shoot webs at everybody. You were the real deal. I was the real deal. I think I was better than Spider-Man, but I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) So the last one kind of warm up question here is what did you want to be when you grew up? Like when you were a kid, like in grade school, what did you want to be? A chef. So what happened? Where along the way did you go from being a superhero chef to a superhero auto repair shop accounting guy? Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think quickly once I realized of like, hey, the idea of being a chef is actually much more luxurious and entertaining than it is actually being one. It's a really, really hard job. I have friends that are chefs and yeah, it's a really, really hard gig on it. But even when I went to college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. At first, I thought I wanted to do engineering, took a couple calculus classes and said, yeah, I don't think this is for me. Um, And ended up getting an economics degree, which is still, if you listen to my podcast episodes, like that is one of the things that I'm still very curious and it always has my attention on it. But I think it was kind of ended up working out because having the economics background and obviously went and got my CPA and, and, you know, got all the stuff as far as accounting, I think it gives a really good background on the reason why we see some of this stuff, especially how we deal with clients. It's not just all numbers. It's also, hey, what else is going on with the economy? What are we looking for trends? And and that's where the econ stuff comes in. And I listened to your, your forecast episode, which we haven't gotten together as a group, so I don't want to try to get into that too much. And I really, really dug, like was interested in the economic side of it and what you thought and how we get there. We'll see how this this year goes. We got some good numbers coming out today. Inflation numbers came out today and they look pretty good. So I think they said the last one was 6.5%, which is the lowest it's been in like 18 months. And so, you know, the big thing is, is the Fed's going to take that as a win that these interest rates are moving in the right direction, which is killing the inflation. So one good month could be an aberration on it. So I guess we'll have to see what the next couple months look like. 
Okay, that's really interesting. A couple of your podcasts, and, I, and we'll move into our topic here in a minute, but I really, really loved your episode 43, How Much Is Your Time Worth? Like I, You and I have emailed back and forth already on that, and I think I'm going to create a whole class around how much your time's worth. I was sitting there listening to it, and I'm like, I can't write on anything. I can't do anything. I need to take notes and scratch this out. And then as soon as I got to the point to where I could, I started figuring out what it is for my time worth. And like everybody else, I need to pay myself more or get paid more. So that's that was a good one. Or even just value your time more. Yeah, value your time more. And so again, with shop owners, it's okay. If you're at the service counter, we're writing service all day, really, what are you able to do or what, you know, fortunately I'm at a spot in my life now where if I stop to take the trash out, it costs me money, right? Like if I stop any of these types of activities, I'm not making any money for those times. Another one of your good ones that I liked was the uh, episode 34, adjusting parts matrix for inflation. I think about a hundred things a day and that is not one of the things I thought about, but it makes perfect sense. Like inflation goes up and even though you're using the matrix, you're making less money because of the way it moves through there. Yeah. And that one was a neat one because that one, like you said, it's not something that I thought about because you think about percentages. Percentages are constant no matter what the cost is to a certain degree. But then, you know, we have gates for the parts matrix. And so actually a client was the one that proposed that to me and said, hey, here's what I think is going on. And I looked at it. I was like, man, I never, from a conceptual standpoint, I never would have kind of thought about that, but it's exactly right. Then we started looking at more. We're like, yeah, depending on how you have this stuff set up, it was really a affecting some people, some not as much if they had bigger gates. If you guys are listening to me and haven't heard Hunt at all, you can go back and listen to those. Uh, One of the ones that's going to tie into what we're talking about today was his episode number two, Common Issues with Financial Statements. He has a great podcast, a lot of great stuff. And uh, thanks for doing that. I know one of the things I'd have never thought of three years ago is how much podcasting I would be doing. But right now, as far as what we do, um, the podcast is our number one lead generator right now. Anyway, so I'm going to get into it. Uh, of course, the reason why I brought you on was to talk about income statements on mine personally, because for anybody that doesn't know, Hunt does uh, my business taxes and my personal taxes. I always want to look at an income statement. I want to have it. I want it to have as much information as necessary, but I don't want to see any of the fluff. And for years, me personally, I was, you know, I might have travel expense, but I would have airfare, hotel, taxi, parking, all that stuff. And really, in the end, I don't think any of that matters and it should just be under travel. And I think as a shop owner, people think that the more detail I have, the more write-offs I'll get. Kind of what I want to learn from you, Hunt, one thing is, is, is what has to be on the income statement and what is, it's not a word, what is write-offable and maybe where some people go wrong in the details. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head, right? A lot of times people think more is better. And in this specific case, it's not the truth. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get accurate financial statements that we can use to make decisions off of. And so if we need accurate financial statements to make decisions off of, obviously we have to have key metrics on there. But the same flip side is you don't want too much on there because then it's overwhelming. And I see this all the time for shop owners that say, I just don't understand my numbers. Numbers. And I look at their numbers and I'm like, it shouldn't make sense to you. It barely makes sense to me. And I do this all day, every day. You know, so as far as kind of three distinct categories here, 
sales, cost of goods sold, and expenses. And so the sales and cost of goods sold is very straightforward. We're mimicking exactly what our shop management software is, is showing. So parts, labor, shop supplies, sublet. A couple people have one or two other ones. Again, don't go overboard on that. I don't need to see 15 different individual line items on sales. You shouldn't be breaking out different kinds of part sales on your QuickBooks file. If you want to see the breakout between HVAC, between steering suspension brakes and stuff like that, that's what your shop management software is for. On QuickBooks, we're only looking at part sales. The only other thing we will split out there for parts is something like tires. The reason is, is because we have different gross profit that we expect to get on that. Other than that, all those finer details, not going to do that in QuickBooks. That's what your shop management software is for. Now, on the cost of goods sold side of it, it's again, very straightforward. Whatever you're tracking in your sales, you need to have that same account and cost of goods sold. So you're tracking labor sales. We have labor costs, which is our technicians. We have part sales, parts cost. We have tire sales, tire cost. And the reason I bring up this one is a lot of people ask me, well, is this cost of goods sold or is this not? Does it directly relate to one of the things in income? Well, no, then it shouldn't be up there. And also the same flip side here, because I have a lot of people, let's say that you want to break out batteries. I have some people that do this. Most people don't sell enough batteries where it really you know, predicates it. But again, hey, if you want to see this, what makes sense for you, I'm going to make it happen. Now, what I always tell people is the sales is going to be very easy because we can do a battery report. We can do sales by category and pick out that sales number. Then I ask them, I say, well, do you buy your batteries from someone separately? Oh yeah, I buy it all from this one person, right? Interstate batteries. I'll give them some free advertising. So anything to interstate, that is only batteries and that's all our batteries come from. Great. So we can track the sales and cost of goods sold. What if you're listening here right now and you say, hey, I want to track batteries, but it's all included in my NAPA bill or my parts authority bill. Unless you're going to go into that invoice and split out the cost of that battery, there's no reason to track the sale. Because what we would have is we would have battery sales and zero cost. Yeah, we're splitting it out, but we're actually shooting ourselves in the foot. Make sure that there's a one-to-one matchup on that. As far as fixed expenses, more or less everything else that we didn't talk about is in fixed expenses. Advertising, insurance, uh, utilities, officer wages, rent, stuff like that. What out of that do you need to see? Because a lot of it seems superfluous. And I'll tell you, the funny thing was, is I emailed Hunt this and said, hey, in 2023, this is how I want to do my income statement. And then I was like, I can't wait till 2023. So I spent like 90 minutes and went back to 2022 and recategorized everything. And the first email that Hunt sent me after doing all this was, well, where's your car payment and everything like that? So I missed a key detail point in there that would have made his life easier. We got it straightened out and anything. But anyway, I think it's funny that we did that. And then the first question out of you is like, hey, dumb, dumb, you didn't put this where it should be. I mean, it's really common, right? And so like it was underneath automobile expense. And that's how most people that have our businesses, I have a couple of areas where I can look down through it and I could search for it and stuff like that. But really kind of the two extremes that I see is like, I have some people that pull up and let's say advertising and underneath advertising, or maybe they even have it. So it's in a class format. You can see all of this stuff. They have advertising radio, advertising mail, advertising internet, advertising website. And the collapsed profit and loss is 10 lines of just advertising. So the big thing in QuickBooks that we have two things. We have a collapsed profit and loss, which is we don't see any of the sub accounts. And then we have the expanded profit and loss. So the collapsed profit and loss should give us all of the key information that we need to see. No more, no less. Now, the difference between the collapse and the expanded is 
Underneath advertising, if you want to have some subcategories, fine, you can have those, but it still would allow you to collapse it and not see that stuff. But you want to make sure that we still have enough accounts in the collapsed format that it makes sense. One of my biggest pet peeves is I have one shop that runs it like this. So I guess I have a couple. Underneath their fixed expenses, they only have like three categories that show up on collapse. They have general and overhead, professional, and like one other ones, like uh, facilities. So if you look at the collapse format, it doesn't give us any information. I don't know how much you paid in rent. I don't know how much you spent in advertising. I'm spending professional fees. It is worthless unless I click the expanded versus a real, you know, a good set of books. Should be able to give me most every piece of quick information that I'm looking at in a collapse format. Hey, what was I doing advertising compared to last year? All right, that makes sense. What was rent? Okay. Is insurance going up or down? Yeah, sure. When I need a more detail, I'll probably need to go into those accounts and look down through it or look at the sub accounts, but I should be able to use my collapse PL for almost anything that I do. So for like mine, because that's our common interest and that's what we know for you and me, like I included, I think I changed rent to other expense or whatever. So is that okay or... Well, we're going to throw you out there and tell you that you're not on QuickBooks, you're on FreshBooks. So some of the stuff that you do on there is a little bit different. But yeah, so the way you have your category set up, yeah, is perfectly fine. On something like QuickBooks, they have an other expense, but it looks a little bit different than yours. We talked about three things, sales, cost of goods sold, and expenses. There's actually two more categories in QuickBooks that are not used that much, but everyone has at least one in there. So there's other income and other expenses. Other income is gravy income, ancillary income. So that's maybe storage fees. Maybe you got a U-Haul business. Maybe you sell some used cars on the side or get some scrap. That would go in other income because yes, it is income. I don't want it up there with my labor and part sales because I don't want it to muddy the water with what my shop is doing. Now, other expenses are kind of the same thing, just in a different way. Hey, these are expenses that we need to account for, but they're kind of outside of the normal scope. And so down there is where we put depreciation, amortization. Um, if you have an audit and you have a large expense for that, that would go down in other expenses. Essentially, anything below the line, meaning other income, other expenses, it happened. It's not something that always happens or it's not something that we need to rely our business on. AutoLeap is a cloud-based, all-in-one auto repair software that helps to keep complete track of your business, from scheduling appointments to managing technicians to generating invoices. Supercharge your growth with AutoLeap. Customers that fully adopt AutoLeap see the following benefits in their first year. 30% revenue growth, with top customers seeing over 100% growth, 75% decrease in no-shows, allowing you to service more customers, three times increase in positive Google reviews, leading to stronger online presence, 50% time saved on administrative tasks, driving increase in operational efficiency. Do it all with AutoLeap. Key features and functions include estimates, invoices, scheduling, Google reviews, inspections, communication, QuickBooks, reporting. Get in touch with AutoLeap to see how you can transform your auto repair shop. For a limited time, if you schedule a demo, sign up with AutoLeap and they will waive the $250 implementation fee. So here's a question I have. What is deductible and what is not deductible? That might be a general statement, but I really feel like it doesn't have that many categories in it, right? Like what can we actually deduct out of all the fluff that we put on those things? 
at the end of the day, what is on your profit and loss statement is going to get deducted in one way, shape, or form. And so I'm going to answer your question two ways, literal sense, and then also a bigger picture of what people are trying to get here. On your profit and loss statement, pretty much everything on there is going to be deducted exactly the same with the exception of meals. So meals... If you have a regular business meal as you go out to eat, that's going to be a 50% deduction for the most part. There's weird COVID rules, but we won't get into that today. Now, if you have an on-site meeting or team training or you provide food for the waiting area for customers, that's actually 100% deductible. And so meals are weird because some of it's 50, some of it's 100%. So what I usually tell people on this is you need to make the designation on your financial statements. So if you have a meal, you're out, maybe it's a shareholder meeting, right? Which for most people listening is either them with themselves or them with a spouse or another family member, 50% deductible. Hey, you order lunch for the guys because you were having a webinar on Friday. I'm not going to call that a meal. I'm going to call that a meeting. And that's going to give me a hundred percent deduction. Makes sense? Makes perfect sense for that. But so for me, and again, of course, I'm talking about me, 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 but for my business, it's a little bit different because I go out and host a meeting and lunch is provided for the people that attend the meeting. Yeah. And so that's even weirder for you because you're essentially selling that meal if you want to look at it that way. You almost would look at that how a restaurant looks at their food costs. Hey, our product that we're selling is meals. For you, it's very similar, right? It's an on-site meal provided part of your services. So that's all deductible. Right. Oh, let's don't tell them they'll want me to collect sales tax and labor on it or something, something crazy. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of this stuff comes down to the gray area of things, right? There's a way to do it. You know, there is a spectrum to be on. And here's kind of my philosophy on deductions. No one is doing this to try and pay more money on taxes. Everyone wants to pay the least amount possible. There's some things that are black. There's some things that are white. Most things fall somewhere in between. And so when I have a deduction on there, my job as an accountant to my clients is to educate them where on that spectrum they stand. Hey, Chris, do this, right? Nothing to worry about. Or Chris, we can deduct this. And we have an argument. They could have an argument as well. If you get audited, we might win, we might lose, right? And again, some of my clients feel comfortable being in those gray areas. Other of my clients say, Hunt, I don't want to worry about that stuff, right? And that's not my place to tell them. I'm going to educate you where you stand. At the end of the day, my big thing is, do we have a good argument? Do we have a defensible position? Meaning, if we get caught, do we just have to say, you found us, we're screwed? Or I'm going to give you an argument. You might like it, you might not. But at the end of the day, what the IRS looks at is they ask two questions. Is this fair and reasonable for this business or reasonable and necessary for this business? And that is a lot trickier question to answer. And so like I always use an example of a four-wheeler or a flat screen TV. So if you call someone up and if you're listening to this and you call up your accountant, it's not me, and you say, hey, I want to buy a four-wheeler for my business, what are they going to say? Not a deduction, right? Why do you need a four-wheeler? You can't write that off through the business. Now, where another place comes in there is if someone calls you up and says, hey, I want to write off a four-wheeler. Okay, what are you going to be using it for? It's my snowplow. It's my push vehicle. Yeah, it's my snowplow. Yeah. I use it to push dead cars in and out of the lot. Now, it's still the same piece, but which way you look at this, now that's a 100% deductible business expense. Now, for those of you with side-by-side four-wheelers, stuff like that, if you ever do get audited, make sure that thing is parked at the shop, but that's the argument behind it. Hey, this is what it's for. Same thing with the TV, right? Hey, I want to get an 80-inch flat screen TV. Is that a business write-off? No, of course not, Chris. Well, hey, what if that TV is going to be hung up in the break room and the people are going to watch training on it? Again, same thing, but how you're arguing what it's used for. Exactly. I sat through 
Reed's class when I went through the business owners class that he taught and learned so much of that. That was such a great class. And what's Reed doing now by, I mean, is he- He's up there. Is he? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know how much he was around anymore or anything, or I love Reed. Reed was really, really good for our business 15, 18 years ago, whenever that was. Holy cow. Before I was born, right? Yeah. Before you were born. Glad to see you continue on with that and everything. This is kind of off the topic, but what's the worst income statement you've ever seen? The worst one I probably ever see is ones where it's incomplete information. Because as much as I've been doing this, if all the information is in there, I can usually make heads and tails of it. The worst ones are, it's just like, hey, this is incomplete, right? Or you have balance sheet items on the profit and loss. But the funny thing is, is like internally, when I get nervous is when I call up a shop owner and they say, oh, my financials look really good. You're not going to have to charge me for any cleanup work. Inevitably, these are the worst ones. The ones where people say, oh my God, it's a train wreck. We go on and be like, yeah, you had like three things wrong. So I guess as a blanket statement, the worst ones are the ones that people think are good ones, probably. Probably. I've had some crazy ones. I've actually had some that were handwritten on a piece of paper and like scanned into me. I would almost prefer the people that are like, oh, I haven't done an income statement in three years versus one that was just written on paper. Because I mean, really, how much belief do you have in that at that point? Well, and that's a scary part too, right? You see it as it's like, hey, if you have no financial statements, you're not relying on those to make decisions. It's almost worse to have bad financial statements that you have a false sense of security, like that that's actually giving you any viable information. I've done hundreds and hundreds of them at this point and can break one down in probably 15 minutes or less for the most part. And then I've had some where I've looked at them and I'm like, you know, I don't know who's stealing from you, but somebody from your business is stealing from you and we're going to find out. And and that one particular case, it was his wife and the service advisor, but not together. They were both stealing from him individually. And uh, that was crazy, crazy, crazy situation. That's a big wake up call for a lot of um, our new clients because a lot of our new clients either don't have financial information at all or were handling in a matter before that wasn't kind of the proper way. And we always are reconciling your shop management software to QuickBooks. And for a lot of these people, it's the first time that they've ever done that. And inevitably, maybe 5% of the time, we have a pretty large discrepancy between the parts matrix they think that they're making and the parts matrix that's actually showing on QuickBooks. Now, a lot of times this is race card, this is personal parts, this is the way they're closing out warranty and in-house work, which we can show them how to change those variables. But a lot of times once we've, you know, going down through or look at the discrepancy and say, hey, we have variables here and that could maybe make up for 20% of the difference, there's still something else going on. And just like you said, you name it, I've seen it. Disgruntled employees still using your parts account at a, you know, at a parts house. I've seen people selling inspection stickers out the back door, stealing stuff. A lot of times though, and you can probably say this with electronic ordering, a lot of times it's also can just be some sloppy work, right? Like, hey, you bought it, you paid for that, and that went on a car. You just didn't get paid for it for whatever reason. It usually goes down to like processes and procedures at that Exactly point. right. We ordered it, but we didn't need it. So it never got returned and it's still sitting on the shelf or whatever. Because of electronic ordering, they don't want to put it to a ticket because then they don't want to forget. And you're exactly right. And I always tell people this fraud and you know discrepancy prevention. If you're fixing it, it's too late. You need to have a process and procedure in place where it's like, that can't actually happen. I could never have actually paid for that vendor invoice because the process and procedure is you matched up to a ticket 
And if it's not on the ticket, it doesn't get paid. Yeah. And then two, you have to have a way to track it on the backside for cores, returns, what this is, what that is, who signed for what. I had a bookkeeper one time call me. She's in tears. She's like, Chris, we're not making any money. I'm like, well, that's my call every week was with the owner, but the owner was inputting all the information that he sent to me. So on his end, it looked great, but he had his race car, his service advisor had a race car. And I think his son that was a technician had a race car. And so he was basically their parts margin was negative because they were running all the parts for all these cars and everything through there. And that's the big thing a lot too, is like you're adding variables to your financial statements there. And that's the big thing that I tell people, Hey, you want to play the cash game. You don't want to deposit all the money. You don't want to report it. You want to hide this through here. You want to run this part down through there. All right. You're getting a benefit out of, you know, in some way, shape or form on the tax side but also you're losing the valuability of your financial statements. Because now when you look at your parts margin, you're like, hey, that stinks. It's way different than what my shop management software is saying. You're going to chalk it up and say, I must have bought more race car parts. We can't analyze any farther than that. Right. Well, and then if you go to try to sell that or, you know, I had this happen. Uh, a guy called me, said, Chris, I'm tired of this industry. I want out. And I'm like, well, how fast do you want out? And he's like, as soon as possible. I'm like, great. This was last year. He called me. So 2022, I said, um, send me your income statement, everything. So we can, you know, come up with some sort of valuation, figure out how we're going to exit out of this. And he's like, well, what year do you want? And I go, well, I want your last three years. And he goes, well, my accountant has 2019. He's almost done with it. And this was in 2022. And I had to have the uncomfortable conversation with him. Like basically at this point, your business is worth zero and you'd have to write me a check to take it off your hands. I mean, that's, that's the situation you're in at this point. Now, you know, ABV, credit and business valuation, I do a lot of valuations. Um, now, most of these are, you know, current relationships. I do take, you know, a decent bit off of the street as well, too. But there's a lot of times where I don't like spending other people's money if I know they're not going to get value out of it. So there's other uncomfortable conversations where, Chris, you call me up and you want to value my shop. And I almost never ask them how much they think it's worth because I don't even want in the back of their head. I know it's probably going to be higher than what it truly is. But a lot of times I look at this and I'll throw it out there because I get a feeling. I say, Chris, what do you want for this thing? What were you thinking of asking for it? A million bucks. And I'll say, stop right there. These numbers are never going to justify that, right? And I do have some flexibility. I can use my judgment on some things. But at the end of the day, this is numbers, multiples, stuff like that. If you pay me for this, it's going to come back at 300000 maybe 400000 It's never going to be close to that. Well, I wouldn't sell for less than a million. I say, then go put it on the market, right? Hey, if you can get that, great. The numbers are never going to justify this. And you might find a buyer that doesn't care, but don't waste my money on this. But just like you said, other times it's like, okay, hey, we got a valuation. Let's do it. And it's almost impossible for me to look at it and come up with even a rough guess. Because like you said, some of my clients are squeaky clean. Those are all legitimate expenses. Some of them, it's like, hey, it looks like you make no money and you make a killing because all of your stuff is run down through here. But I've also had ones where it's like, okay, here's what the value of the business is. Oh, that's really good. Is it though? Because if you sell it for 1.5, you write Uncle Sam a check for $300,000, the broker is going to get 50 grand on it and you have $900,000 worth of debt. So you're going to sell this for 1.5. Ultimately, what you care about is the cash. You're going to walk away with maybe 100 grand, Chris, when it's all said and done. Wait, what? For 30 years of my work? Yeah. And that's where it's really uncomfortable because I'm like, I get the blood, sweat, and tears that you looked into this, but business is business, right? People don't care about that. They just say, hey, I'm investing my money. How much money am I going to get from this investment? They don't care about your story, your blood, sweat, and tears of what you've sacrificed. And that's the hard part. I've been in some situations where... 
uh, somebody's come to me and said, Hey, Chris, I want to buy this business. And I look at it. I'm like, well, I wouldn't give them that for it. And they're like, well, the owner told me that he takes a lot of cash out of the business. And I bought it based on that. And they overpay for it. They hire me and it's just a hot mess. And there's no way they were making a third of that, let alone what they were doing. We've had a couple of those situations where the person that they bought it from financed it and repossessed it back from them. So I don't know how many times that same owner's taken a down payment, sold their business, repossessed it and brought it back. But based on the, the wink, wink, nod, nod, but I take a lot of cash out of the business craziness. When we were talking about the stuff before, race cars, travel, kids on payroll and stuff like that, very customary to have those ad backs, right? Because some people say, well, I don't run anything down through it because I'm looking to sell. Hey, if you want to do that, that's going to be obviously the easiest of, hey, there's no ad backs other than a couple little things. What you see is what you get. Now, if you have, hey, I run down through this, my wife's on payroll, stuff like that, any small business is going to have that kind of stuff. Everyone knows tax minimization. It doesn't really make anyone scared. Now, the larger it is, obviously, more questions are going to be asked and the more substantiating documents you need to have. But all of those stuff should have very easy ones. Hey, I added this back. Why? Oh, my car payment was going down through there. Well, I don't believe you. Hey, look, here's the checks, right? It always going down through there. What never gets adjusted when I do valuations is cash because it's off the books. We have no idea. So essentially what that seller is trying to do is they're saying, I'm willing to lie to the state, the local, the federal government but you as a completely unrelated party, you need to trust me. And also I have a vested interest to lie to you as well. You're the only person I'm telling the truth to, the only one. Exactly right. Take my word for it. I, I see that a lot. Well, hey, hon, this doesn't factor in the extra whatever I get in cash. I said it never will. One of the things I tell shop owners all the time is, fig, you know, have your home budget, have your work budget separate the two and then pay yourself and move on. Even for auto fix, I used to do draws and everything else. And probably one of the best things I did was last year, I finally started paying myself W-2 and everything like that. And I think we'll be way better off for it. I'm, you know, people, there's arguments about the tax and, and all this other stuff. But I think, I think in the end, it's much cleaner to run your business and have the two separated than run this line of what gets paid here or, or there or whatever. Yeah, especially if you're trying to analyze stuff, especially if you're trying to make changes with it or you're not that comfortable with your financials. Again, you're looking at this and you know how many times you look at financials and they're like, I'm not making any money. You're like, you are. Your expenses are just inflated because all of this stuff is running down through here. And it's so commingled that I can't really analyze it. And then on the you know paying yourself draws and distributions, I also see a lot of people that just are stripping their business dry, right? They're saying, hey, I don't have any money in my business. No, the business is making good money. The business is making a 20 or 25% net but you're pulling all of this out of the business. So you have done a very good job to build a very diligent and profitable business, but you're kind of just overspending on the personal side. But you are the business, the business is you. Those are very intertwined there and you gotta be careful on that. Right, it's a slippery slope, right? So you just have to kind of watch out for that. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about relating to income statements that you had a note on that we haven't touched on yet or anything like that? I mean, the biggest thing that I probably say on the financials is that I feel like that a lot of people just get overwhelmed when they look at this. You look at the top line sales, you look at the bottom line, I'm not making any money, sky is falling. And so what I always tell people is focus on one thing. At the most, focus on two. Don't try and do 10 different things because if you look at it, those 10 different things probably have one root cause. 
But I'll tell you this. So if you're looking at this and you're looking at your business and think you need to cut your fixed expenses, you need to cut your overhead. You're looking at this wrong. Your overhead more or less is what it is. So we never really cut overhead in the sense that we're cutting out line items, cutting out benefits and stuff like that. You need to drive your sales to be relative. So it makes your expenses relatively less expensive. Generally, when I look at a business, it's very simple. You're selling parts and labor. If you sell parts and labor at the proper margins, at the proper volume on it, you can pretty much screw up everything else. That is going to be the biggest driver. And ultimately, one thing that is kind of a bad answer to your question, because it's not really on the financial statements, take a look at your productivity. Productivity I can guarantee you that you have a productivity issue because every shop, no matter how good, how long you've been in business, is the one area that you can improve on. But it's also the one area that if you improve that metric, the kind of domino effect that it has on your overall numbers are just astronomical. Much, much more than tweaking your parts margin a little bit, much, much more than cutting out you know, some of your advertising budget. Yeah. And when I break it down an income statement, I can, you know, you're sitting there looking at labor costs and labor sales. And then my next question to that is, is like, okay, why is our margin not high enough? And then I go into productivity. And honestly, I've thrown this out there a couple of times. I think I could probably solve most of the technician shortage if every shop owner went out and fired their least productive technician and made everybody else more productive. There'd be enough in the industry that we wouldn't have an issue. A lot of times I find shop owners hold on to extra people that they need because they think they need them when they really don't. Oh, yeah. And there's something to be said about people trying to fix them. But a lot of times it's like, hey, if this is the way that they are, this is the way that they're probably always going to be. But yeah, if I look and you got three guys in the shop and they're cranking out a combined total of 70 hours, we have three guys doing the work of less than two. So we can improve our margins and our profit one of two ways. We can do more work so that we have three guys doing a work of three. That's going to be the most profitable for everyone, for the shop, for that employee that we don't have to fire. And then for the customer, the customer is not paying any more money, right? We're not charging the customer anymore. Or the same flip side of it of like, hey, you have three technicians doing a work of two. You could also cut out that whatever, which one of them is not producing. Now you have two technicians doing a work of two. You're only paying for two. Again, you're going to be more profitable. And the sad thing is, most of those shops, like we're just talking about right there, that has one too many technicians or they're not productive, the owner has 15 uncashed checks in his drawer. And rather than having the uncomfortable situation of going out and talking to somebody and being like, hey, I need a check, you're fired, or you guys need to increase productivity so I can cash my check. They just don't and they keep stacking checks in their drawer. That makes me sad as far as the industry goes. Especially if you look at it too, because productivity is one of two different ways and you got to be careful that you're trying to fix a problem with the wrong solution here. So productivity is either a production thing or it's a supply side of things. How many cars do you have versus how many cars can you get out the door? And so whenever I look and say, hey, do we have a productivity problem? I always generally look at their advertising spend because I want to see how much they're spending on advertising because that probably tells me if they have more cars they know what to do with or not. Because a lot of times I look at this, I'm like, you got a productivity problem. They're like, I need to crank up the advertising. And it's like, Well, hey, you just told me you were two weeks booked out. Well, yeah, I am. You don't need more cars. You have all the demand there. You just need to get these out the door. So this is a production side. This is something you're talking to the team. But again, the biggest killer of productivity or efficiency conversations is if you go back to the team and say, hey, guys, we're at 50% production, and they say, boss, there's no cars in the lot, that's the end of the conversation right there, right? We don't have a production problem. We have a car count problem. We need to go get cars through the door. 
again, the numbers are saying the same thing, but based on what's going on behind the scenes is a lot different solution. And it's funny, you get on that hamster wheel, the car count picks up and you, you're booked out more and the average repair order goes down and your average repair order should be $700 a car. And you're like at 320 a car and you're like, oh, well, we're doing more work than we ever have. But your average repair order is half of what it was last year. So crazy stuff. Exactly. Or margins start to slip, stuff falls through the cracks. Yeah. We'll go ahead and wrap this up to close. How can people find you? Obviously, they can listen to you. Um, Business by the numbers on the aftermarket radio network. But if somebody wants to reach out to you is interested in maybe working with you and would you like to tell a l- little bit more about what you do? there at um, your agency. Yeah. And so uh, easiest way to find us is parmelis.com, P-A-A-R-M-E-L-I-S.com. Um, link to the podcast is on there. Link to my book is on there. A bunch of webinars and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, like Chris was talking about before, and Chris, appreciate you having me on here. So yeah, we're an accounting firm specializing accounting, tax, payroll, you name it, like a normal accounting firm. Big difference is we only work with shops. Uh, 99.9% of our business is automotive repair shops. I'm based out of Maryland. We have clients nationwide. Um, so doing remote bookkeeping, remote reviews, and stuff like that. Um, and able to give a, a lot different, I think, look and approach to financial statements than an accountant that wouldn't be familiar with the industry. And thanks for being on the, the show today. I really appreciate it. I've wanted to start working more and more into having guests on. Two, I wanted to get this in because I know I always try to send you my stuff like on January 2 because I want to get it in and get it out of the way because I know probably about two, three weeks from now, I won't be able to to see or hear from you till May. I think you were my first one. Uh, you might have been my second one. I had someone that was one ahead of you, but you're my second one to come in. So you get a prize. Like I sat there and looked for a couple of days and I'm like, I need to send this to Hunt, but I was waiting for some expenses to come through for last year. So I was like, nope, no going to do that. And so, <laughs> so again, thank you hunt i really appreciate it i really appreciate everything you do thank you and your staff for helping me out with my stuff great i couldn't be happier or pleased with you guys and it goes all the way back to reed and everybody else like you guys have been a great a great place for a really really long time appreciate it hey everybody this has been hunt demerst and coach chris cotton from autofix auto shop coaching if you find yourself struggling in your auto repair business or have a feeling like you don't know what you don't know but you're eager to learn and grow your business then please feel free to reach out to me chris at autofixsos.com or give me a call 940-400-1008 time to get out and rise and grind everybody You've been listening to The Weekly Blitz with Coach Chris Cotton on the aftermarketradionetwork.com. Follow Chris on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Chris is all for advancing the aftermarket.